Game of Thrones Season 5, Episode 3. The High Sparrow is still over, but we're just getting started here on the Game of Thrones Feedback Show. And now, here are the only two guys less popular than Brienne at the dance. I'm Rob Sister. Here's Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? What do you mean? Everybody's been calling me Wiggy the Beauty. <laughs> Wiggy the Wonderful. And yeah. Remember, this, this, I thought this was legit. Remember that night when we were there and Brienne was making fun of us? No, <laughs> I thought that she was laughing with us. Yes. Yes. And and Brienne was like, uh, look at the like, uh, were you going to look at those two those two losers over in the corner? Like, that's what she was saying. <laughs> yeah. She was, she was in, um, in high Valyrian, so I didn't understand. Yes, yeah, she was. Uh, we were ostracized to, to even to Brienne ostracized Stark. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. Here we are. Game of Thrones feedback show here for episode number three of season five. Boy, the season's almost uh, 30% over. Yeah, we're almost done. Wow. <laughs> Game of Thrones goes quick. That was that's, fast. That's why we try to do three podcasts a week about it. Uh, we, we try to milk this. We try to milk the teat of Game of Thrones uh, as much as we can. Yeah. The Game of Thrones books and the Game of Thrones audiobooks, like I'm listening to I'm into a, a Storm of Swords and, you know, I've been listening to it for about a week, a week and a half. And it's like still got about 37 hours remaining yep. on that. It's a much different experience where the TV show is like, oh, oh, it's over. That was it. Lickety split. Lickety that split. was it. The season's over. Uh, and, and, you know, the books and the audio books, they just uh, go on and on. So it's yeah, two very well, different experiences. Uh, if, you, if you think that the audio books go on long, uh, try, try waiting how long it takes in between books. Uh, yes, I for, guess for so. For books to come out. That's the worst. Yeah, I That's guess if you started really this in the 90s, uh, yeah, I guess that this is probably a very lengthy experience uh, in that way. I mean, I'm, I'm thrilled to death that I've only been waiting since Dance with Dragons. It's only been five years for me, where for many other people, it's been a lot worse. A lot worse. We never talked about this. Did you get into the books before the TV show started? I actually got into the books because of Terry Schwartz. Uh, Terry Schwartz uh, was a writer of mine at MTV when I was an editor at MTV. Um, And Game of Thrones was coming up and she was going to be writing about it for me. Uh, And she told me that before the show begins, I really need to read these books. Uh, I will love them. Go, Go and do it. Uh, so I did, and I did love these books very much, and then I started watching the show. Uh, the show premiered probably three weeks after I finished uh, the fourth book. The fifth book came out that summer. Um, but yeah, I was books before I was in the show, and it's all thanks to Terry. Now, is there anything in the Game of Thrones community where if people that read the books before the TV show, do they are like, you know, where are the OGs? You Johnny come lately is okay. You all just read the book because of the TV show that you like. Where were you before TV show? Right. Um, I, I'm like in probably I'm in that like weird middle zone where I'm not quite like book purist. I'm not quite show only. I'm somewhere in between. And I mean, people who listen to the book club podcasts by now know that I'm fairly agnostic with the changes between the book and the show. I feel like if it's good for the show, then that's great. And I think that that's a pretty liberal stance for a lot of the people who grew up, you know, with the books in terms of, uh, and not necessarily grew up, but started with the books, who, who read A Game of Thrones back in 96, uh, who, you know, have been really living in this world since the mid-90s when George R. R. Martin started releasing these books and are really very upset with actually a, a decent amount of what we're seeing on season five. I mean, you and I aren't really talking about it too much, but there have been some serious, serious, serious changes uh, this season already. And I'm loving it, but there are a lot of people who are not. 
Let me just ask one more book versus TV show question before we jump into the voicemails here today. The stuff that didn't happen on the TV show, but is in the books, like for instance, like backstories of characters and stuff like that. Should we assume that, you know, if it's in the books, it's canon in the TV show, if unless we hear otherwise? Can you give an example? Uh, let's say, you know, the backstory of a character, you know, you know, in the book, a character might tell the story of, you know, if Jamie Lannister is talking about, you know, uh, when, you know, Cersei and I, we did this and she talked me into going to the King, the King's Guard. We didn't see this conversation on the show. Uh, and maybe we had and I, and I don't remember it. But if it's in the book, do we assume that it's true on the TV show until we hear otherwise? I tend to. I tend to. I, I mean, again, this is something that I say a lot. You know, the, a big, big difference between a show like Game of Thrones and a show like Walking Dead is that even though Game of Thrones is deviating from the books in some major ways this season and has already done that in the past, by and large, it's pretty faithful. You know, it's, it, it, it sticks close, very closely to the narrative of the books, whereas a show like Walking Dead, it's night and day between the two. You know, there's some recognizable stuff between the comic and the show, but a lot of the story is vastly, vastly different. Whereas here on Game of Thrones, the basic structure is about the same, to the point that, you know, when we start getting into seasons six and seven, there are very valid concerns from people who come from the books first that the show is going to, quote-unquote, spoil what's coming up in the books. Um, so so I, I tend to think that the two are, are fairly linked. Something like that, a character's backstory, if it hasn't come up on the show, for me, as I approach those characters, I tend to believe that all of that stuff happened, you know, things that are mentioned in the books but hasn't been mentioned on the show. But it's if it's not on the show, then it you know, it's probably not pertinent. You know, it's not something that you absolutely need. It'd be great to have, but if they're not showing it on the show, there's a reason for that. Um so I think that you could you could take it either way. Like if if it helps inform your view of a Jamie Lannister or a Cersei to to think back about their history when they were teenagers and things like that, I say go for it. But until you know, until they say otherwise on the show that that stuff didn't happen, and that seems like it would be pretty pretty clunky to get there. Um, I, I think that you're fine, kind of just uh, fanficking your way through this whole thing. All right, here we go. So we're going to get ready to answer your voicemails that come in after every episode of Game of Thrones. This is the last stop. Actually, you have a book club. Uh, we do have a book club. We'll okay, be recording second to last stop. Yeah. We'll be recording Book Club on April 30th. So maybe that's already done by the time you listen to this. Okay, so we've got two more stops to go before we get to Season 5, Episode 4. And we are going to answer your voicemails, which come to us every week at postshowrecaps.com slash voicemail or via email at got at postshowrecaps.com. That's right. Uh, and we got a fantastic collection of stuff today. Uh, right. I'm very, very excited. I, as I, I think that I said this out loud. If not, at least I thought it. Uh, I thought High Sparrow was the best episode of the season so far. I, I really loved episode three. I think that a lot of interesting things are happening. Uh, you know, great cliffhanger with Tyrion getting abducted by Jorah, finally getting back to Winterfell and seeing that Sansa is kind of on this collision course with Ramsay Bolton. That probably can't be good. Just lots of really good stuff happening in this episode. And I think that it shows in the, um, in the feedback we got this week. Lots of great voicemails, lots of great written in questions. So, uh, you know, the show is on fire. I thought we did a good job on Sunday night, Rob. And obviously the listeners, you guys are on fire as well. So just keep sending this stuff our way. Really fun stuff to talk about this week. Yes. The Lord of Light has blessed the listeners of this show. 
Yeah. Uh, well, you know, with that in mind, why don't we start with uh, an execution? Okay, good. <laughs> let's start with an execution because that's kind of been on our minds lately here. Uh, let's start at the wall. Uh, let's take a voicemail from Trevor Chong, who's just kind of observing, you know, based on what happened to Jano Slint in this episode and other things that we have seen throughout this season already that maybe maybe a trend is developing and maybe it's something we should talk about. So let's hear Trevor. Hey guys, this is Trevor from Vancouver. So through the first three episodes, we've seen three executions. Do you think this is going to be a recurring theme throughout the season? Do you think this episode will make it four straight? Who do you think is most likely to be killed in this episode and who's going to be one killing them? Love to hear your thoughts. Thanks. Okay. Just, uh, Refresh my memory. Who's the third execution? I saw Danny. We saw Jon Snow. And who's the other one? Mance Raider. Mance Raider. Okay. Yes. Well, yes. You know what? Uh, I didn't think of that one as uh, an execution, I guess, because uh, he didn't lose his head. He didn't lose his head, but it was certainly an execution. Yes. Uh, you know, potentially it was, you know, it was about to be much worse than anything that any of these other guys got. Um, but yeah, that's a trend is certainly here. We've got the first episode. Mance Raider is going to be burned alive. He gets uh, shot in the heart with an arrow, but that was very much going to be, you know, a, a carried out execution. We have Danny in episode two ordering the execution of one of the former slaves in Marine. We have in this past episode in episode three, Jon Snow takes the head of Jano Slint right off his shoulders. So what's going to happen in episode four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten? Are we going to get an execution every single episode? Um, I suspect that we will not. I mean, again, I don't know the source material, but I feel like that would have to have been, you know, the show is 10 episodes. Did George R. R. Martin include 10 executions? I'm mean, certainly there's got to be 10 deaths, I would imagine. But are they all going to be executions? I would think not. I would have to say it's probably a coincidence. Yeah. Uh, but do you think that thematically we're building something here? Is there something to the idea that we are seeing Danny execute somebody? We're seeing John, who is now in a leader, leadership position. He is killing somebody here as like one of his first acts as Lord Commander. Um, is this, you know, we've seen not like public executions in King's Landing this season, but we have seen um, Cersei has ordered the heads of dwarves to be delivered to her in the hopes that they are Tyrion Lannister's heads. Um, is, there, is there something to this idea of people losing their heads this season that you think is starting to develop? Well, I do think that there is something, a greater overall theme in the Game of Thrones universe to this idea of being the executioner. You know, it's in the first episode that Ned Stark is going to chop the head off the guy that deserted the wall. And we're going to go back to that theme of, you know, it's the, you know, the Stark way that the person who gives the sentence must carry it out. And we see a lot of other people botch that, including Theon in when he's trying to sack Winterfell. Joffrey has Ned Stark's head cut off and he's the one that gives the order, but he's not the one that carries out the sentence. Jon Snow is the guy who gives the order and carries out the sentence that goes over well. Danny is the person that gives the order but doesn't carry out the sentence. It doesn't go over well. So I do think that that is a theme that's throughout the show of if you're going to dole out that sort of punishment, you need to be the one to carry it out or people will not respect you. Yeah. Uh, who's going to get their head chopped off? Let's, let's talk major characters. Give me, give me a prediction. One of the people that we really like on the show Who's going to get their head cut who's off? Who's most what, likely to have their yeah, head cut off? Yeah, who's most likely to become uh, 
fully headless Ned? Like who who is most likely to lose their head? Boy, of the people that we've seen, I will say uh, I'm going to put some money on the roulette wheel. I'm going to put some uh, chips on uh, all people Bolton. All people like, Bolton. <laughs> I'll put some chips there. Um, I feel like uh, Tyrion. Uh, I again, I boy, you never want to feel too safe with anybody on Game of Thrones, but considering that there's a bounty on his head. I feel like uh, it wouldn't be a terrible bet to put a chip there. And I don't know who else uh, could lose a, a head along the way. Um, hmm. These Starks love to lose their heads. They do love to lose from, their heads. From Ned to Rob. I mean, this is a thing that they just like to do. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I feel like that's off the top of my head. Uh, no pun intended. I feel like that's those are the best guesses I have right now. Okay. Bolton's and Tyrion. Yeah. And I would Brutal. say probably more on the Boltons. Than more on the Boltons. Yeah. All right. Well, let's stick at the wall. Let's, let's take a question from our Philly uh, who wanted to write about John now that he's Lord Commander and some of the influences in his life, um, specifically some of the influences in his life that are no longer here and who might replace some of these people. So our Philly wrote in and asked, Ned Stark and Egret, while extraordinarily different, are the two people who Jon Snow treasured the most in his life. With both now lost to him, whose shadow will loom the largest over the new Lord Commander in the days ahead? And how do you think his experiences with them will impact the newfound role he has? Um, to just like hijack the, the question with an answer, what do you think about this John and Stannis relationship that's building up here? I mean, that was something that I think um, you know, our Philly is bringing this up and the show is also bringing up that Stannis seems to have some measure of, if it's not fondness, it's respect for John. And we see that little nod that he gives to John after John kills Jano Slint. What do you think is going on here? Uh, and what do you expect to see from this relationship? Well, I think that the Stannis and John relationship is a, a good one. And hopefully, you know, I don't know what the future holds for Jon Snow, but, you know, that wouldn't be the worst thing for Stan is to potentially have an ally in John at the wall. You know, it seems like Stannis and Ned Stark were allies, if not friends, at least they seemed like they were on the same side of a lot of things. I think that Stannis probably resented the fact that, you know, Bobby Baratheon treated Ned Stark more like a brother than he treated Stannis. But I think that Ned was probably a good guy to Stannis, and I don't think Stannis had any real animosity towards Ned Stark. And they're both, you know, duty-bound, and I think that they're both pretty honorable guys. So I think that there is a mutual respect for one another between Jon Snow and Stannis. I don't think Stannis loved Ned Stark. I don't think he loved him. but He I wasn't think, a huge Ned Stark fan. But so... I got I got the sense that, uh, you know, maybe he didn't love him, but he thought he was a, a, a good guy and maybe was pissed more pissed off at his brother than actually at Ned. But is do you feel like that's different? No, I, I think that that's that's fair. Uh, but I think that you also get in this past episode where we where we see Stannis say something to the effect of, oh, man, your dad was a good guy. That's what got him killed. He probably shouldn't have been such a good guy. Uh, and I think that there is some quality of Stannis not fully respecting the Ned Stark thing. Um, and even with Rob Stark, I think that, you know, had push come to shove. If Rob Stark never kneeled, never said, like, you're the king. Uh, I'm happy to be the guy in the north, but you can be the king, Stannis. I think that Stannis would have uh, potentially he would have done what he did to Renly to to Rob. 
Um, but yeah. what, but what I also do think is that you know Jon Snow is very much the the black sheep or you know the white direwolf in the Stark clan. You know he is the outlier. Uh, he's not a full fledged Stark. He's a Snow. Um, and you look at Stannis Baratheon, who's the only surviving uh, member of the the Baratheon brothers of those three, uh, and he himself is also kind of just you know sort of this guy on the outs. Yeah, he's got Dragonstone, and Dragonstone has a lot of history, but it's also very far removed. Uh, from Westeros, certainly more removed from Westeros than a lot of other places in the Seven Realms. He didn't want Dragonstone. He didn't. He did not want to be there. That was not his first choice. He got that as a punishment. It, it was. It was not great. He was not thrilled about it. So you know, he. You know, he's not Renly. Who Renly thinks? You know, he's got the love of the people and all that good stuff. Um, so Stannis is definitely the outlier in his family as well. But the Baratheons and the Starks have history. Um, so it'll be really, really interesting to see how these two outliers and these families that are linked in a big historical way um, come together or don't. Uh, but I think that Stannis being at the wall this season, I think that you could, you could expect, based on the way that Davos talked him up and talked him up about how Stannis views John, I think that you can expect that to be a thread that we're going to want to try and keep track of. And just to talk about the other part of our Philly's question about, you know, what does it mean with Jon Snow being the Lord Commander at the Wall, I do think that this is going to mark the beginning of a new era between you know the people in the North and the Free Folk, and maybe Jon Snow could be uh, that song of ice and colder ice of the people right. that are you a know, song of ice and more ice and colder, yeah, higher ice. Yeah, but he, you know, is from the North and he does have, you know, the Stark blood, but he's also spent a lot of time uh, with the wildlings. He had the respect of Mance Raider and Tormund Giantsbane. And, you know, he, you know, laid down with some of the people, some of the free folk. So he kind of gets what they're about and they have their respect. And so as opposed to, you know, the people at the wall previously were like, Hey, we're here to, you know, to, you know, to kill, you know, any wildling that we come across or whatever, you know, this could be a new era where maybe we can work something out with these guys. Change you can believe in. Sure. Why not? Yeah. He could be a transformative figure at the wall. President Snowbama. Yes. That's what you're looking for. Snowbama. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think, I, I think that that's, that's a fascinating look at the situation though. I think that, you know, looking, <laughs> look at that. Why does John, Obama come off so much on this? Game I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it's a very political show, Game of Thrones and yes. Posher recaps, of course. Uh, no, but I, I think that that's interesting. You know, John has spent time with the wildlings. He's obviously also a sworn brother of the night's watch. Um, how he kind of handles that issue and how he, he chooses to move forward now that he's Lord commander, I think is definitely going to be a topic on the show. So, uh, right on in thinking that that is a place that we're going to go. I think that that's pretty clear. Uh, I think that's pretty clear that that's something that's in the air. Now, is it um, true that um, Donald Trump is is calling into question the legitimacy of Lord Commander Snowbama and wants to see a birth certificate because he doesn't believe he actually is from is from the North? Yeah, he questions whether or not he's a Stark. Yeah. Uh, he's like, yeah, hey, you've got, you've got, uh, you've got snow for a last name. You're a bastard. We get it, but how, how are we supposed to believe that you're actually a Stark? Yeah, you know, show me some proof. He doesn't think he should be allowed to be Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. Yeah. John could say, you could ask my my dad, but he's dead, uh, <laughs> and he's the only one who knew who my mom is. So you can't really ask her. Yeah, 
So I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Maester Trump. I'm, I'm out. He I, wants I got to send a raven for the birth certificate. Oh, man. How quickly would uh, Donald Trump get the Jane Slint treatment? <laughs> How quickly would he be a song of ice and fire? <laughs> well, I think he would certainly be, you know, uh, Donald Lannister. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> look, at, look at this penthouse that we've got in Casterly Rock. It's the most glamorous, most luxurious place that we've ever seen in Casterly Rock. <laughs> Lannisport is just lined with uh, boner towers like New York, like Trump Towers here. Yes. And he, I'm sure if Donald Trump had Tyrion as a son, like he would not be like... He would uh, hate Tyrion. Yeah, he would not be like a judge on the Lannister Apprentice one week. Yeah, Tyrion Trump would be in the basement somewhere. Cersei and Jamie, you'll be my eyes and ears this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Well, I'm I'm glad we're not living in a in a King Trump world here in Westeros. I think that would be that'd be pretty rough. Um, but you know, Jon Snow does not get away scot free either. Uh, this is a question from Jeff Trotter, who has a little tiny bit of a gripe with what Jon Snow did in this episode. Uh, nothing to do with Jaina Slint. We're all thumbs up on what he did with Jaina Slint. But Jeff Trotter wrote in and said, "This is the most minor of points." But did anyone think it was weird? how Jon Snow gave a bit of crap to the dude who he picked to dig latrines because he's a ginger? Jon was in love with a redhead like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, I just think that was a whole big like psych fake out for Alistair Thorne that he thought he was going to have to go dig the latrine and uh, you know they just had to give Jon Snow a reason to make fun of somebody. So they felt like that was a safe thing. To- you think he's also like trying to distance himself from the egret things like, see, I don't even like redheads. Oh, that's interesting. Redheads are lame. Yeah, Gin- gingers should be in the in the toilet pits. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It was kind of weird though. It's like why? Why? Because he's a ginger? I don't really? know. The whole That's thing was weird that they started off with like you know the, it was like first day in office, like day one of the first meeting that you know. I thought that he was just like throwing out like, um, oh, we got to talk about latrines as like a joke, and then move right. on to something else. But it actually was a, you know new business. Uh, we yeah. need a new latrine. Yeah. I wonder if like that's just like a running gag among the Night's Watch that like uh, like the Night's Watch is filled with the worst people imaginable. Killers, thieves, rapists, and worst of all, gingers. <laughs> you know, just so everybody on the Night's Watch is rags on the ginger. <laughs> is there that's a line in the oath about being a ginger? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that uh, I think that that's like you have to swear that off. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You have to swear off gingers? Is that- yeah. And that's that's why some people really don't trust Jon Snow because of his relationship, not just with the wildling. Yeah. So Orange is not the new Black Brothers. No, 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 no. And this is probably why people are feeling very uncomfortable about about uh, Melisandre being around now. Yeah. Okay. Well, that maybe that that was a major problem for Jon Snow, and maybe that was like the forbidden fruit of Ygritte. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think the Lord of Light is a uh, is a ginger? <laughs> Is that okay to say ginge if you're not a ginge? I, I feel don't like know. it's okay if you if that's what you are to say. I really hope I really hope it is. And if I'm <laughs> offending anybody, I'm so sorry. I'm very good friends with red hair. I'm I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Because uh, with the trouble. wildlings, that's a that's a good thing. That's you know considered uh very very uh very attractive if you have red hair. Yes, yeah, so that's a big difference between the you wildlings got and the by fire. That's, that's right. Good. That's right. Yeah. Getting kissed by fire is good on Game of Thrones. Uh, I guess, but not if you're uh, not, on the not wall. Watch, no, on the wall. That means you uh, get a uh, you, you have to dig shit by fire. 
Oh no. According to the guy who now has to dig the latrines. It was screwed up though, Jeff. That was messed up. Messed up. Okay. Um, all right. Let's, uh, we talked a little bit about Stannis already. Let's keep talking about Stannis. Um, let's talk about something that might be coming Stannis' way. Winter. Uh, winter is coming everybody's way. Oh. Uh, this is not Winter. This is Brienne. Brienne might be coming Stannis' way. This is from uh, Robert Lanehart, a voicemail from Robert. Let's hear what he has to say about Brienne and Stannis. Hey, Rob and Josh. This is Robert from Madison, Wisconsin. Now, I understand that the whole Brienne and Pod storyline can get quite dull at times, but I think they had a very important conversation this week. When Brienne is recalling the shadow that killed Renly, Pod asks her how she intends to fight a shadow. Brienne responds with the following quote, A shadow with the face of Stannis Baratheon. Stannis is a man, not a shadow. And a man can be killed. How do you think Brienne will go about attempting to kill Stannis, and do you think she will ultimately succeed? Thanks, guys. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. You know, I think more than anything, what that really kind of crystallizes for me is that, um, you know, when we've been talking about Game of Thrones in the past, you're you're usually all in on King's Landing. King's Landing is the most interesting thing that's going on. There's lots of political wheeling and dealing, lots of excitement there. I think that the North is like the new King's Landing right now. North I think is that, the new King's Landing? I think, I think that the North is the most exciting place on Game of Thrones right now. You've got everything that's going on on the wall. You've got Jon is now in control. You know that there are White Walkers out there. They could strike at any minute. You've got the Wildlings. What are we going to do about them? But now we also have Winterfell in the mix. Uh, we've got Winterfell, where where not only are the Boltons in charge, which is terrifying, but now we have Sansa is back. We have a Stark in Winterfell for the first time in a very long while. We've got Littlefinger there. He's a wheeler and a dealer. Um, and now we have Brienne, who might be on her way further north. And even though Stannis is not at Winterfell, Stannis is in the north, and Brienne would love nothing more than to wipe the smile off that guy's face. Not that he smiles much anyway. Um, what do you think? Do you think that we're going to get a coalition of Brienne and Stannis? Yeah. I just take a minor issue with you saying that the North is the new King's Landing because you're really combining the wall and everything that's going on at Winterfell. That's two it's different the locations the on the map, Josh. But you it's the are, North. The wall is in the North. I guess so. But we never compared like, oh, it's the South. It's King's Landing and Dorne. You they know? don't call it the South. They call it the North. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Um, are we, you know, Brandon Hodor? Is that that's in the mix also? Well, they don't exist anymore. <laughs> okay, but I I so. agree that you know there is a lot of intrigue and political intrigue uh, at the wall, which we really never had before, uh, and certainly at everything going on at Winterfell. And uh, I agree, King's Landing has lost a bit of its luster. You know, you have sort of the struggle between you know Marjorie versus Cersei, but I mean, there's nobody else there. Yeah. Well, what do, you, what do you think of this idea, though, to get to Robert's question? What do you think about Brienne versus Stannis? Is that something that you feel like we are building towards? I don't know. I mean, I just feel like um, we've, we're so much more invested in Stannis at this point than we ever were at Renly. It really just feels like that would just be like if Brienne sort of went on sort of like a murder quest to go kill Stannis now over Renly who's been dead on the show for, you know, three seasons now. That just seems to me like, I, I don't know how invested I am in, you know, avenging Renly's death after all this time. You've got to give Brienne something to do. got to give her something to do. But I mean, I just feel like, okay, well, uh, I'm going to, you know, lay off the mission that I've been on for the last three seasons and go back to what I was doing before I started this mission. 
Right. Is there anything that Stannis could do to pacify Brienne, to kind of smooth things over? Like, yeah, I did that thing with Renly, but I think you're really awesome, and now you can work with me. Do you think that there's any smoothing over what happened there? Does Stannis like to dance? <laughs> he might. Okay. I don't know if anyone's ever asked him. May I have this dance, Brienne of Tarth? Yeah, could that be what's coming up, that he is going to ask her to the proverbial ball? <laughs> sure. Why not? Why not? So, I'm not sure exactly what Stannis could do to pacify Brienne. I'm not sure exactly how Brienne and Stannis would, uh, you know, come into contact. Like, I can't imagine how she would have access to Stannis. Right. Um, I don't know. I mean, he's kind of just hanging out on Castle Black. How hard would it be to just, like, walk into Castle Black and, and knock his head off? Well, the thing about Brienne is that um, she's not exactly inconspicuous. She's tall. She's tall. She's tall and she's all in armor. Um, I mean, somehow she's sneaking behind Littlefinger, but I would think that she's like not exactly, you know, going to be like Jake and Hagar when it comes to like, you know, moving through the night. Uh-huh. No, I don't think that's her specialty. Stealth is not her. She doesn't go into stealth mode. No ninja stealth, stealth mode for Brienne. us with Brienne and Pod. No, she is uh she is a fighter. She she'll, you know, she'll go in swinging. Um, but I mean, listen, I would be very amused uh, by, by a Brienne and Stannis encounter. I think that that could be very good TV. Sure. I think it would be certainly interesting, but I just can't get that invested into Brienne's bloodlust for Stannis over killing Renly in season two. Uh-huh. Even with Clash of Kings so fresh in your mind. Uh, Renly had more to do in the TV show than he did on in the books. Absolutely, he did. Like, Renly was better on the TV show than in the books. They, they made up the story that he was gay on the show. At least he had uh, that sort of intrigue. And, you know, on the show, like, he was hardly, you know, it was a, a, a blip on the radar, a couple of scenes, and that's it. Right. Yeah, in, in the books, there's subtext for all that stuff. So it's not like they just made it up. No, I got it. I got it, but... You know, he picked um, up what George R. R. Martin was putting down. <laughs> a little bit, uh-huh. but I mean, they really, you know, it's on the nose on the TV show. All right, let's stay in Winterfell for a little while since we're here. Uh, let's talk about Littlefinger. And I think of everything that people wrote in about, this was the question that we kept getting the most of. Uh, so let's have Steve Davis represent this topic for us. Steve Davis sent in a voicemail this question about Littlefinger. For Littlefinger having manipulated this entire war, how has he not heard that Ramsay Snow Bolton is more sadistic than Joffrey? You would think that he would have done his due diligence given his obsession with Sansa. That's it? Yeah, that's it. A little bit, a little bit of a Sopranos ending there on the call. <laughs> Just got okay. Yes. So did Littlefinger, what did Littlefinger know and when did he know it about the bastard of Bolton? Right. So this is something that, you know, I've been hearing a lot, a lot, a lot about in the days since this episode aired uh, in terms of just chatter I've been reading online, questions that got sent in to us, tweets that got sent my way. Um, A lot of people wondering, like, this is so out of character for Littlefinger to not know Ramsey. You know, Littlefinger says to Ramsey, I don't know much about you. Um, I had said on, on the show on Sunday night with you, Rob, that I really think that that's just Littlefinger stroking this guy's ego. I really hold to that. I really think that, you know, Littlefinger is not going to send Sansa to Winterfell without knowing what he's throwing her into. Do you disagree? Do you think that Littlefinger screwed this up? No, I doubt that he screwed it up. I, I think that in, if I had to guess, I would say that Littlefinger realizes it's a risk. 
but I think it's a calculated risk. And I think he has a next move planned for once Sansa gets, you know, inside the the walls and, you know, is considered, you know, to be the lady of Winterfell. I think that there's a next move coming. And my evidence to point to that is the avenge them, avenge their your family line. So I feel like it's all part of the plan for Littlefinger. Now, I don't really know exactly what's out there in terms of the reputation of the Bastard of Bolton. Of course, like his backstory is going to be different in the books than in the TV show in terms of the way that he's introduced into the show. So I don't really know what is known about him and what his backstory ultimately is. I think he's a good example of a character that I don't know. I know because I know what people say about him in the books, but I'm not exactly sure, you know, pre season three when he's introduced, you know, what his backstory is, what his backstory is. Yeah. But I think that you almost don't even need to know the specifics of what Ramsey does. All you got to do is look at the freaking flag. Mm-hmm. It's a flayed man on the flag. That's fair. And, and, you know, it's a flayed man on the flag. It's Roose Bolton putting a, you know, a knife through Rob Stark's heart. Uh, betraying the entire Northern Army. I think at the very least, you are anticipating that you are sending Sansa to marry a guy who is uh, at least mildly psychotic. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like you got to give Littlefinger a little bit of credit here. Yeah. How does that go, the idea to have a house sigil? Because, I mean, everybody else is like, all right, when, you know, you have to get it approved by somebody. Yeah, what's like, the okay, process? Okay, we're going to be, uh, we're going to be a wolf. Uh, okay, we're going to be a lion. We're going to be a dragon. Okay, great. We're going to be a fish. Okay, it, it's like, you know, sports mascots. Everything is great. And then here come the Boltons and like, uh, okay, we're going to be a, uh, a a person with the skin ripped off. Uh, like, does anybody say, you know what? Uh, we're that, no, no. That, uh, you want to be like a skull and crossbones? Okay, fine. But that's a bridge too far. That's that's not a logo. Are you going to be the guy that tells the people that want to have a flayed man on their flag? Are you going to be the guy that says, no, you can't do that? <laughs> I, guess I don't so. think you are. I don't think I guess you are. so. It just doesn't fit with what everybody else is doing. Yeah. Like it's so out there. So severely effed up. Like, okay, <laughs> you, know? you know, we're going to have a sparrow. We're going to have a snake. We're going to have, <laughs> you know, I just don't know what they're thinking. Right, yeah. It's screwed up. It's messed up. I think it speaks to the fact that the Boltons are terrifying. Um, The Boltons in the books, I think, are more obviously scary than they are on the show. You know, they seem like, you know, you you could have the Boltons move in next door and you wouldn't be immediately terrified. You'd, like, find out later that their basement is filled with flayed men. Uh, and then you'd be scared. But I think the Boltons of the book, if they moved next door, you'd be like, oh, sweet, vampires have just moved in. Uh, these really horrible monster creatures that are going to, you know, flay my children tomorrow if they, you know, cross over into the yard. Yeah, they're doing like weird stuff with leeches and yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. Whereas, they him, <laughs> Yeah, they call him the leech lord in the books. Yeah, Roose Bolton seems like, you know, almost like a, you could see him like as a, uh, almost like a Daniel Craig type guy. Yeah. He's Why, a, is Daniel Craig creepy? No, I feel like he's like, uh, I didn't think he's that creepy, Roose Bolton. I like when he first, when you meet him on the TV show, he seems like you're led to believe like he like uh, is like being all friendly to Jamie Lannister. Right. And, you know, he seems like he could be a, uh, a good guy. Yeah. Double O Bolton. I don't know. Uh, do you think that? Yeah. 
so what you're saying is uh, the show version of Bruce Bolton is he's like poor man's Daniel Craig. Like he's like uh, he's passable as a normal human being. Yes. That, and I don't think that the book Bolton is really that passable as a human being. Yeah. On the TV show, you don't know he's a bad guy until the Red Wedding. Until, yeah. you, you know, you have the scene where Cat uh, Stark like pulls up his sleeve and he's wearing like the chain mail. And, you know, he and then he ultimately is going to stab Rob Stark. Like, but up until that point, you think he could be a, a, a decent guy. Right. On the level. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I think I think that's all that's all very fair. Uh, you know, they definitely seem like normal or closer to normal people on the show than they do in the books. Um, so maybe it's possible that Littlefinger doesn't know too much about Ramsey. But I just I have to believe that Littlefinger being Littlefinger is a guy who does his research, is a guy who knows things. Um, I think that when he's saying something like this to Ramsey, I think he's disarming him. I, I don't think that it's anything like Littlefinger didn't know what was going on. But mm-hmm. that, but I, I heard a lot of people who felt uh, otherwise, a lot of people who thought that Littlefinger dropped the ball here. I just don't, I don't see that. I think it's another calculated risk by Littlefinger. Uh, let's keep talking about Ramsey. Let's, let's take this from, from Linus Wesley wrote in uh, and said, I don't think you guys mentioned that Ramsey's girlfriend was present when Sansa introduced herself to the Boltons. They showed her watching from the sidelines and not looking happy. That's definitely something to keep an eye on. I think this girl could be a much bigger threat to Sansa's plans than Theon. Because um, we talked on the show, Rob, you and I, on Sunday night about is Theon possibly going to be a thorn in Sansa's side? Like, well, seeing that Theon is still alive, if not well, is that going to kind of shake her confidence here? You know, knowing what Theon did to her brothers and how she how he uh, betrayed the Starks. Um, are we overlooking this person who Ramsay had a relationship with, has gone hunting humans with, as we've seen on the show? She does not seem like just a damsel in distress. She seems like somebody who is very capable of doing some very horrible things. Should we keep an eye out for Ramsay's girlfriend? No, I'm not too concerned about her just because the show has not, you know, put a spotlight on her. I feel like if she was like a legitimate threat to Sansa, I feel like we would see more of like a, you know, a shot of her saying, you know, uh, Ramsey Bolton, who's that? Who's the new, who's the new girl here? Right. And we didn't get any of that. So I'm not too concerned about her. Listen, we've got a lot of threats uh, in the mix here between, you know, the former bastard of Bolton and Reek and Roose Bolton, um, you know, the scorned ex-lover of the bastard of Bolton. I am not super concerned about her. All right, cool. So her name is Miranda. First of all, we can call her by her name. She's a Miranda. Um, she's a Miranda. She's a total Miranda. Uh, and so we're not afraid of Miranda, which means Miranda will be beheading Sansa Stark this season. Yes. This is Game of Thrones. And when we are expecting somebody to be safe and somebody to be harmless, we're usually totally wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That, I think that <laughs> mm, it, it could go either way. It could go either way. It could go either way. All right. You ready to leave Winterfell? You ready to leave the North? No. Well, we have to. Okay. We have to. Uh, but we can still talk about Stannis, actually. Uh, we can still talk about Stannis as we move over to Volantis. Uh, let's take a voicemail from Omri who had a question about something that we actually didn't talk about at all on the show on Sunday night. So I'm really curious to get your take on this, and it ties into Stannis. Hey, guys, how's it going? This is Omri from Jerusalem, first of my name. You guys didn't bring this up in the recap show, so I thought I would bring this up. There was a red priestess in Volantis who was totally backing up Danny. Does that mean that Melisandre is lying to Stannis about being the chosen one of the Lord of Light? 
or is simply the Lord of Light trying to play both sides to make sure he's on the winning side? Thanks. Bye. Boy, is the Lord of Light a real little finger? Yeah, he's little fingering it up. Lord of Littlefinger. Yeah, but this is this is interesting. We didn't talk about the Red Priestess who we saw in Volantis, who's um, actually played by by recognizable actress. Her name is uh, Ryoa Fukushima. She was in The Wolverine. She was one of the coolest characters in that movie. She was on, uh, and I maybe continues to be on Arrow this season. I'm a couple episodes behind. Um, so she's somebody that's kind of a genre-friendly actress, and I was sort of surprised to see her as you know just this Red Priestess just hanging out in the middle of Volantis, Talking, you know, talking up Daenerys as a red priestess. You would think, um, given everything we know about Melisandre and how devoted she is to Stannis, that uh, these people would all be Team Stannis. But it turns out that the red priestesses, maybe they don't all agree. So what do you think of this? Do you think that the Lord of Light is little fingering us? Is, is Stannis a red herring? Or should I say a ginger herring? Potentially? You know, I don't know, because we've seen so much, you know, discussion in the show about how the dragons are connected to magic. You know, all of the magic in the universe seems to be, and, and the resurgence of the powers of magic seems to be tied to the return of dragons to the world. So it would make sense if the Lord of Light, especially the dragons are our fire and the Targaryens are fire, and you would think that the Lord of Light would, you know, be very pro-Targaryen as opposed to, you know, Stannis, who really has adopted the Lord of Light uh, with with Melisandre. I don't know. Is there, you know, one true person that only can do the, the Lord of Light? Because we have, you know, all the stuff going on with, you know, the Beric Dondarians of the, of the world and, and, and that that whole like a uh, little like sect of the Lord of Light. And then you have, you know, everything going on with the Red Priestess, and then you have all this stuff now with talking about Daenerys. So, I don't know. Can the Lord of Light be franchised? Maybe. <laughs> what's, you know? the, what's the cost? <laughs> I don't know. How, how much King's Blood do you have to donate? How many gold dragons it does, right. is it? So, I, yeah. don't, I don't know. But it seems like the Lord of Light is popping up in more and more places. Does that make you buy into the Lord of Light more, or are the mixed messages turning you off? No, I'm buying into more of the Lord of Light than the Seven because I'm seeing him a lot more evidence. You know, maybe call me a, a doubting Thomas, if, if you will, but um, I'm seeing the Lord of Light, you know, do a lot more stuff than any of the Seven is doing in Westeros and beyond. Yeah, a doubting Rob Thomas? <laughs> uh, I hope not. Why not? What's the problem? Uh, what am I, Matchbox 20? Yeah, no, you don't, you're not into that? No. Not your thing. Not my thing. Uh, no, interesting points though. Um, and certainly, you know, when it comes to the seven versus the, uh, the people who seem to worship at the altar of the Lord of light, we have seen, you know, we've seen proof positive that some of these people can do pretty ridiculous things. Uh, whereas the, you know, people who worship the seven, they too can do ridiculous things, but that typically involves going to Littlefinger's brothel and, uh, being butt naked and being marched out into the streets and looking like an ass. Yeah, oh, and and people seeing your ass, and people seeing your ass, and and more than your ass. Yeah, so I don't know. I think I'm out on the new gods. <laughs> I'm in on Lord of Light. In on Lord of Light, and you know, Stannis versus Danny is going to be a very interesting matchup, especially if yeah. they both uh, claim to have the Lord of Light. Although Danny doesn't even seem to know about the Lord of Light. 
No, this seems to be news to her. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that anyone has really filled her in on that quite yet. But what do you think? Do you think that we're going to see this Red Priestess pop up again? Or do you think that this is a one-off? Well, considering the fact that you're saying that she's a notable actress, I feel like that lends to the idea that we will be seeing more of her. She's not like a shockingly notable actress. She's just been in you know, a couple of things that are pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where I was really surprised to see her here. I, I don't know. Maybe she'll show up again. Maybe yeah. not. Uh, I suspect that we will see more of her. Uh, well, she does give Tyrion the eyes. You know, she she stops what she's talking about and just looks out at Tyrion and cannot stop staring at him. What do you think that was all about? Well, maybe she knows that he what he's going to do, where where yeah. he's going. Yeah. Well, these these uh, red priestesses do see through the fires. They tend to have a little bit of knowledge of what's coming up. Yeah. Do you think that possibly that there is a chance of an alliance between Daenerys and Stannis? Um. I don't know. I mean, she really doesn't like those Baratheons, but Stannis wasn't the guy that, you know, led the charge against her father. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe it's like, oh my God, you know the Lord of Light? I know the Lord of Light. But how does that work out? I mean, like, what kind of alliance? I mean, they both want to sit on the Iron Throne. Who, you know, who backs away from who in that point? <sighs> uh... I guess so. I mean, does Danny really need to sit on the Iron Throne? I mean, it does, what, what, does that seem like it suits her? Whether she needs to or not, you know, she's... Like, you Stannis know, really wants it more. I don't feel like Danny doesn't even know what she wants. Like, does she, anybody want it more than Stannis? No, he wants it the most. Like, Danny would have been happy with, you know, just to be, you know, uh, Mrs. Uh, Khal Drogo. Right. That would have been fine. And the dragons, the dragons would like the red waist more than they're like... The, the dragons don't belong in Westeros. That's not what they said for 300 years. Yeah, what are they going to be doing? They're, the dragons are just going to be hanging out, at, you know, in Flea Bottom. Like, uh, I, I just don't see this as a good fit for Danny. Yeah, yeah, she's not going to be happy there. Yeah. Um, let's before we leave Volantis, let's let's talk about Danny the other. Manage Marine. Is she going to go <laughs> manage the Seven Kingdoms? I don't think this is going. I don't think so. I don't think so. All right, let's 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 finish up Volantis here. Uh, there was no Danny this episode, so we don't need to keep talking about Danny. Um, but let's let's talk about Volantis. Let's talk about the one other development that happened here which is Tyrion getting kidnapped by Jorah, uh, seemingly separated from Varys. And the question is, where does that leave Varys? You know, what, what, what happens for Varys if he, you know, can't find uh, his, his buddy? Um, so I actually intercepted um, a raven uh, that was sent by Varys. Uh, this, is, this is what it said. It says, Dear Pentos, thank you for taking my raven I was wondering if you could help me with something. I seem to have lost my dink. You see, I was traveling with my dink in a box for a very long distance. I was hoping to present my dink to the mother of dragons. Unfortunately, my dink grew restless, so I let it out into a brothel, and, well, that was the last time I saw my dink. My dink is short with a large head and blonde hair. Please tell me what I should do to get my dink back. Any help is appreciated. Sincerely, Varys the eunuch. So what should we, what should we tell Varys? What should Varys do about this? Is there a lost and found in Volantis? A lost and found? I don't know. <laughs> Boy. Um, it seems like a personal problem, first of all. Yes. For, for Lord Varys, uh, one of many, I would imagine. One of many. So, um, in terms of what is Varys going to do, uh, I, hopefully that you know, he has some spiders that he can like, check in with you know, on the dark net and find out, you know, hey, her is there a dark net yes. in the world of gamers? Yes. He has to get on the tour and uh, find out and, you know, uh, use some of the uh, 
bit dragons and find out what's going on. Yeah, bit dragons, huh? <laughs> <laughs> is that real? I, I think it is real. Yeah. And so he's got to, you know, maybe hopefully we'll hear like uh, through, the, you know, maybe when somebody like, do you think that we're going to see Sir Jorah like walk downstairs with Tyrion over his shoulder, like bound and gagged and hopefully Varys will see that? You would think somebody would see that, right? You would think that somebody is going to see Jorah lumbering around the streets with a dwarf, you know, hung over his shoulder, bound and gagged. And somebody's like, this is weird. Yeah. Why is this happening? Uh, why couldn't it be Varys who sees that? Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of gossiping that goes on in these brothels. I think so, too. So, so hopefully somebody will know, like, uh, like, oh, yeah, Sir Jorah. Yeah, he's always pining about, you know, Queen Daenerys and, you know, crying into his beer. Yeah, he walked off with a, with a dwarf. Right. Uh, they say it was the imp. They say he's going to take it back to Queen Cersei. Yeah. Oh, yeah. good. Good to know. Yeah, good to know. Yeah. So maybe, maybe Varys has a shot at finding his dink. You would hope so. You would hope so. We all hope, hope so. We all hope so. Um, let's, let's go to King's Landing. Okay. Let's go to King's Landing. Let's, we can start wrapping up here in King's Landing. Uh, and we can start talking about, you know, we talked about Daenerys, who, who is a potential contender to be queen of Westeros. But let's talk about two other, two other queens, Queen Grandma and the true queen, Queen Marjorie. Okay. Uh, this is a question from Matthew Forsyth who wrote in, can you explain the Marjorie and Cersei relationship to me? I mean, they hate each other, obviously. But most of the time when two characters in Game of Thrones hate each other, they try to kill the other one. However, there doesn't seem to be any plotting of Cersei to kill Marjorie or vice versa. Are they just destined to a life of hating each other or should we expect a big move from one of these two in the near future? Um, Rob, what's your take here? Is this, um, is this like one of the more tame rivalries on Game of Thrones or is it just starting to heat up? It seems like it is pretty civilized to this point. You know, it seems like Marjorie is willing to explore non-lethal options. But we've seen in the past the Tyrells are certainly just as willing to, you know, go to great lengths and go to treacherous uh, acts like we saw at the Purple Wedding to, you know, take care of what they need to take care of. So... I think that Marjorie is starting with, you know, putting the little like Marjorie seed into Tommen's ear and saying like, hey, maybe your mom would be happier in Casterly Rock. Uh, and if that doesn't work, let's see where we go from here. Right. Yeah. I mean, Marjorie said perhaps perhaps was a very loaded word back in the premiere, back in the season five premiere when when Laura says perhaps perhaps she's going to still be here. And she says, yeah, perhaps. That was a loaded perhaps. I'll it was say. a loaded perhaps. Yes, that was quite a loaded perhaps. You know, and she, I, I don't know, um, you know, with, with Marjorie, not as much as with Cersei, but with Cersei, certainly we have seen her use deadly force. You know, she is collecting, uh, you know, a trophy case of heads uh, as she is looking for her brother who's escaped. Um, so I wouldn't put it past this to, you know, get a little bit bloodier than it's been. Oh, sure, sure. Um, either one of them is capable of almost anything and Marjorie just does it with a smile on her face while Cersei has more of a scowl most right. of the time. She, she does it with a glass of wine in her hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, all right, well, let's, let's get another question about King's Landing, about what's going on here in King's Landing. Uh, a question from Matt Caron, who um, is calling from an unusual place, but has a question about what's going on here in King's Landing with something that we saw with uh, Maester Kyburn this week. Hi, Rob. Hi, Josh. It's your boy, Matt, calling from a brothel. 
My question is about the mountain. Is he alive? Is he Frankenstein? Is he going to go kill everyone? Have a good day. Adios. Oh, wow. First of all, calling from a brothel. Uh, yeah. Don't you have other things to do than uh, listen to podcasts is in that, a brothel? Is that like on a payphone at the brothel or is that <laughs> he's calling on the cell phone from the brothel? Calling on his cell phone, using the house phone maybe. Maybe he's in tight with the, with the head of the house. Maybe, maybe. Um, all right. So, But the question, the question comes up obviously because this is something that you even brought up, Rob, in this scene where Maester Kyburn gets this, you know, this raven that he needs to be sending off to Littlefinger. Um, and as we're still in the scene, as we're just kind of watching Kyburn go about his own stuff, there is something twitching under like a burlap cover. Uh, and you wondered, is that the mountain? Is it like a zombie mountain? Um, so, so what do you think? What do you think is under there? Yeah, I think it's got to be the mountain. I mean, we know that there was poison on the Red Viper spears and it didn't look so good for the mountain at the end of last season. I don't know how much time has passed. I mean, you got to think it's been maybe a couple of weeks since the events of at the end of season four. I mean, we had enough time to, you know, have whatever funeral rites for Tywin Lannister yeah, our, not to mention Tyrion getting as far away as he's gotten. Right. We had another royal wedding. I wouldn't think that we would just like throw that wedding uh, together so close uh, towards all of the, you know, ugliness that happened at the end of season four. So I got to imagine it's been what, at least like two or three weeks since uh, the Red Viper and the mountain squared off, right? Yeah. I think that that's even on the low end potentially. Yeah. So, I mean, the mountain's just been laying there. I haven't hear, heard from him. So. I don't know if we're going to see some undead version of the mountain at some point. I hope so. Yeah, uh, I think that's that's pretty fun. This idea of just the mountain being in this basement twitching underneath this cover. Like, what's he going to look like when he comes out of there? It'll be uh, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see. That that's a, a certainly a really cool possibility. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it could be pretty fun. And the longer he stays under the sheet, the less you have to pay the guy who is the mountain, and he probably is, you know, more costly in terms of craft service than what you actually have to pay him. Yeah, that guy's really strong. <laughs> He's really strong. He probably eats a lot. Probably eats a lot. He did like some incredible feat of strength uh, within the past some, you know, several months. Yeah, he um, exploded somebody's head, right? Yeah, he exploded somebody's head with his bare hands. Uh, but though there's like, he like moved, he like pushed a train or something like that. I don't know. Somebody knows this, not me. Uh, but he did like something insanely, insanely physical that uh, just, uh, Really just kind of scares the crap out of me just thinking about. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Very intense guy. Uh, and that's it. I think, that, I think that we can leave it there. Okay. All right, Josh. Uh, what's the hashtag for this episode of the oh, podcast? Oh, man. Uh, are, are we going Snowbama? Are we going, um, are we going Lord Trump? What do you want to do? Yeah, here? I've got uh, <laughs> Doubting Rob Thomas as an option. <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, like bit that. dragons, but no, I think uh, Snowbama is uh, is the choice. But I do lo- I, I do love the idea of the uh, Tywin Lannister apprentice. I think that that would be a uh, maybe a fun off season podcast. Yeah, bring in Mike Bloom. I'd love to listen to that. I wouldn't have to do that, but uh, maybe <laughs> maybe for the off season that would be right. that'd be fantastic. All right, so. Josh, book club coming on Thursday or Friday. That's when it's going to drop. Uh, you're recording it on Thursday. Then we are going to have our live Game of Thrones post-show recap back on Sunday night, 10, 15 p.m. Eastern after episode number four. 
Uh, what's this week's episode called? It's called Sons of the Harpy. Yes. Okay. The only one who could ever reach me was the Sons of the Harpy. <laughs> okay. All right. So it sounds like we're headed back to Marine on Sunday. So, all right. Josh, uh, great stuff today. Uh, what else do you have cooking on post-show recaps like uh, like the Maester Kyburn? We've got some stuff going on. As we said on Sunday night, I'm working on getting a little bit of Avengers love here on post-show recaps considering um, it's probably going to be, like it could be the biggest movie of all time. We'll see. Uh, it's certainly got potential to get there. Uh, Avengers, the first one, is the third, I think, third highest grossing movie of all time right now. Feels like the second one can probably clear that. Either way, it's going to be an awesome movie, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a podcast together about that. Other than that, we've got some great Game of Thrones things going on here, of course, um, and maybe, just maybe, another episode of Lost Lives at some point in the near future. Wow. So, things are going on. Things are going on, and of course, we've got other shows going on as well. Mike Bloom and Jessica Lee are killing it on their Orphan Black coverage. Uh, so that's something if you guys are Orphan Black fans and you don't know that there's an Orphan Black podcast going on here on Post Show Recaps, seek it out. It's awesome. Um, yeah, great stuff. What do you got going on, Rob? Uh, well, in terms of Post Show Recaps, I'm going to be back with the now suddenly available on Hulu, Seinfeld. Uh, well, I don't know when exactly that Hulu deal starts, but we are going to be ready because uh, we are about 50 episodes into our weekly Seinfeld recap. And so... Um, Yikes, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. That's what we've been doing it for. It's going to be our almost our one year anniversary soon. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> yep, you guys are amazing. Yep, we're so we're uh, we're in season four right now. So uh, pretty soon we'll be on onto the same number season of Game of Thrones. Yeah, getting close. Yeah, and uh, if you know Jerry Seinfeld, and Larry David ever finished the books, then uh, the uh, the books <laughs> are going to get ahead of the TV show soon. Yeah, that you got to really be careful about spoilers. Then yes, we got to be careful. All right. So we will be back on Sunday night. Follow Josh Wiggler on Twitter. He's at Ron Howard. I am at Rob Sisterino, and we'll be back with more Game of Thrones this Sunday night. Take care, everybody. Bye.